Section 11 of the Crusades by George William Cox. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6 The Loss of Jerusalem, Part 1. The Second Crusade not only failed in its purpose, it did nothing toward the maintenance of the waning ascendancy of the Latins. Even victories brought with them no solid result and in not a few instances victory was misused with a folly closely allied to madness the success of jocelyn of courtenay in a battle with nuruddin son of zengis and sultan of aleppo might have recovered for him his lost city of edessa he chose rather to indulge in the dangerous luxury of insult and the renewed efforts of the enemy were rewarded by the capture of jocelyn his imprisonment and death in 1151. His widow, by the advice of Baldwin III, king of Jerusalem, surrendered to the Greek emperor for a stipulated sum, such places as still remained in her possession, and the dangers gathering around the Latin kingdom were seen, in an inroad of Turkomans who reached the Mount of Olives. This inroad was, it is true, severely punished. The king was absent with his army, but the knights of the military orders who were in Jerusalem let out such of the people as could be got under arms and set fire to the camp of the enemy. These on their retreat were intercepted by Baldwin, and in the conflict five thousand of their number, it is said, were slain in 1153. The tide seemed to have turned again in the favor of the Christians when, after an obstinate siege, which at one moment was all but abandoned, the city of Ascalon fell into their hands. But the change was one of appearance only. The interminable series of wars, or rather of forays and reprisals, went on, and amidst such contests the life of Baldwin closed in early manhood. He was thirty-three years of age, but in that short time he had won such love as his subjects had to bestow, together with the admiration of his enemies he died childless and although some opposition was made to the choice his brother almeric was elected to fill his place in eleven sixty two almost at the beginning of his reign the affairs of the latin kingdom became complicated with those of egypt and the christians are seen fighting by the side of one mohammedan race tribe or faction against another the divisions of Islam may have turned less on points of theology, but they were scarcely less bitter than those of Christendom, and Nuruddin, the Sultan of Aleppo, eagerly embraced the opportunity which gave him a hold on the Fatimite Caliph of Egypt when Shawar, the Grand Vizier of that Caliph, came into his presence as a fugitive. A soldier named Dargam had risen up and deposed him, and the deposition of the Vizier was the deposition of the real ruler for the fatimite caliphs themselves were now merely the puppets which the merovingian kings had been in the days of charles martel and pippin among the generals of nuruddin was shiraku and his nephew saladin of the shepherd tribe of the kurds these nuruddin dispatched into egypt to effect the restoration of shawar his enemy, Dargam, had sought by lavish offers to buy the aid of the Latins, but the terms were still unsettled when he was worsted in a battle by Shiraku and slain. 
Shawar again sat in his old seat, but with success came the fear that his supporters might prove not less dangerous than his enemies. He refused to fulfil his compact with Nuruddin and ordered his generals to quit the country. Shiraku replied by the capture of Pelusium and Shawar, more successful than Dargam in obtaining aid from Jerusalem, besieged Shiraku in his newly conquered city with the help of the army of Almeric. The Latin king, after a fruitless blockade of some months, found himself called away to meet dangers nearer home, and the besieged general, not knowing the cause, accepted an offer of capitulation binding him to leave Egypt after the surrender of his prisoners. But the Latin armies were transferred from Egypt, only to undergo a desperate defeat at the hands of Nuruddin in the territory of Antioch in 1163, and thus to leave Antioch itself at the mercy of the enemy. Nuruddin may have hesitated to attack Antioch from the fear that such an enterprise might bring upon him the arms of the Greek emperor. He was more anxious to extinguish the Fatimite power in Egypt, in other words, to become lord of countries hemming in the Latin kingdom to the south as well as to the north, and it was precisely this danger which King Almeric knew that he had most reason to fear. To put the best colour on his design, Nuruddin obtained from Mostadi, the caliph of Baghdad, the sanction which converted his enterprise into a war as holy as that which the Norman conqueror waged against Harold of England. The story of the war attests the valour of both sides under the alternations of disaster and success. The Latin king had already entered Cairo, when a large part of the force of Shiraku was overwhelmed by a terrific sandstorm. But the retreat of Shiraku across the Nile failed to reassure the Egyptians. Almeric received two hundred thousand gold pieces for the continuance of his help, with the promise that two hundred thousand more should be paid to him on the complete destruction of their enemies, and the treaty was ratified in the presence of the powerless sovereign whose consent was never asked for the alliances or treaties of the minister who was his master. The remaining events of the campaign were a battle in which a part of the army of Almeric was defeated by Shiraku and his nephew Saladin. The surrender of Alexandria on the summons of Shiraku and the blockade of that city by Almeric in 1167, who at length obtained from the Turk the pledge that after an exchange of prisoners he would lead his forces away from Egypt, on the condition that the road to Syria should be left open to him. The banners of Almeric and the Fatimite Caliph waved together on the walls of Alexandria, but on either side the peace or truce was a mere makeshift for the purpose of gaining time. Neither the Latin king nor the sultan of Aleppo had given up the thought of the conquest of Egypt, and Almeric found a ready cause of quarrel in the plea that since his own return to Palestine the Egyptians had entered into communication with their enemy and his. The king of Jerusalem had lately married the niece of the Greek emperor, and the latter promised to aid the expedition with his fleet. The help of the knights' hospitallers was easily obtained, while some said on this account that of the knights' templars was refused. At length, with a large and powerful army, Almeric left Jerusalem in 1168, 
pretending that his destination was the Syrian town of Homs, but after a while his march was suddenly turned. In ten days he reached Pelusium, and the storm and capture of that city was followed by a wanton carnage which served to increase, if anything could increase, the reputation of the Christians for merciless cruelty. The prayers of the vizier Shawar for help were now directed as earnestly to the Turkish sultan as they had once been to the Latin king of Jerusalem, but his envoys were also sent to Almeric, offering him a million pieces of gold, of which a tenth part was produced on the spot. Almeric took the bribe, and when his army looked for nothing less than the immediate sack of Cairo, they were told that they must remain idle while the rest of the money was being collected. The vizier took care that the gathering should not be ended before the soldiers of Nuruddin had reached the frontier, and Almeric found too late that he was caught in the trap which his own greed had laid for him. He could himself do nothing but retreat, and his retreat was as disastrous as it was ignominious. The Greek fleet had shown itself off the mouths of the Nile and had sailed away again. The Greek emperor could not be punished, but a scapegoat for the failure of the enterprise was found in the grand master of the hospitallers, who was deprived of his dignity by his knights. The triumph of Shiraku brought with it the fall of the vizier Shawar, who was seized and put to death, while the man whose aid he had invoked was chosen to fill his place. But Shiraku himself lived only two months and then by way of choosing one whose love of pleasure and lack of influence seemed to promise a career of useful insignificance the fatimite caliph made the young saladin his minister the caliph was mistaken saladin brought back his curds and so used the treasures which his office placed at his command that the new yoke became stronger than the old one to the Latins the exaltation of Saladin signified the formation of a really formidable power on their southern frontier. Their alarm prompted embassies to the court of the Eastern Emperor and the princes of Western Christendom in 1169. But the time was not yet come for a third crusade, and only from Manuel was any help obtained. His fleet aided the Latins in a fruitless siege of Damietta, and a terrible earthquake which laid Aleppo in ruins and shattered the walls of Antioch saved them from attack by the army of Nuruddin, which was approaching from the north in 1171. Still, in spite of conspiracies or revolutions of the old nobility, the power of Saladin was growing, and at length he dealt with the mock sovereignty of the Fatimites, as Pepin dealt with that of the Merovingians. The last Fatimite sultan, then prostrate in his final illness, never knew that the public prayer had been offered in the name of the Caliph of Baghdad, but Saladin had the glory of ending a schism which had lasted two hundred years, and from Mustadi, the vicar of the prophet, he received the gift of a linen robe and two swords. But the healing of one schism led only to the opening of another. Saladin was the servant of the Sultan of Aleppo, and he had been recognized and confirmed in office by Mustadi strictly on the score of his lieutenancy. But the new vizier of Egypt had no mind to obey any longer the summons of his old master, and to his threat of chastisement, Saladin, in his council of emirs, retorted by a threat of war. 
his vehemence was cooled when his own father declared before the assembly that were he so commissioned by nuruddin he would strike his son's head off from his shoulders in private he let saladin know that his mistake lay not in thinking of resistance but in speaking of it and a letter sent by his advice sufficed for the present to smooth matters over but the time of quietness could not last long the designs of saladin became continually more manifest and nuruddin was on his way to egypt when he was struck down by illness and died in damascus in eleven seventy eight in nuruddin the sultan of aleppo as in the general who had risen to greatness through his favour we have a man to whom the chronicles of the time and of later ages delighted to ascribe the magnanimity and simplicity of omar it must at the least be admitted that the ideal of moslem courtesy and chivalry is more refined and generous than that of western christendom and that the truth of the picture drawn of nuruddin receives some support from the enthusiastic eulogies of william archbishop of tyre i fear god he replied to his queen who complained that she had not enough even for her wants i am but the treasurer of the people but i have three shops in homs these you may take and this is all that i have to give he made it his business to provide everywhere mosques hospitals schools and resting-places for travellers and justice it is said was as impartially administered in his time as in the days of the english alfred the widow of nuruddin held the fortress of peneus and her husband's death encouraged almeric to undertake the siege a bribe to abandon it was at first refused a fortnight later it was accepted but almeric returned to jerusalem only to die in eleven seventy three his life had lasted only five years longer than that of his predecessor baldwin but it had been long enough to win for him a reputation for consummate avarice and meanness his son and successor baldwin the fourth was a leper and his disease made such rapid strides as to make it necessary to delegate his authority to another his first choice fell on guy of lusignan the husband of his sister sibylla but either the weakness of guy or the quarrels of the barons brought everything into confusion and baldwin foiled in his wish to annul his marriage devised his crown to baldwin the infant son of sibylla by her first marriage raymond the second count of tripoli being nominated regent and Joceline the third of edessa the guardian of the child but within three years the leper king died in eleven eighty six followed soon after by the infant baldwin the fifth and in the renewed strife consequent on these events guy of lusignan managed to establish himself by right of his wife king of jerusalem in eleven eighty six he was still quite a young man but he had earned for himself an evil name the murderer of patrick earl of salisbury he had been banished by henry the second from his dominions in france and the opinion of those who knew him found expression in the words of his brother geoffrey had they known me the men who made my brother king would have made me a god End of section eleven